Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Oh, what a night edition as the Bengals rally from a 14-point halftime deficit to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 27-24 on Thursday Night Football. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays from the win, post-game comments from players and coaches, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Then, in this week's Fun Facts segment, you'll get to know the man who brought the loaf chart to the Bengals' defensive backs room, Mike Hilton. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since Thursday's celebration of the 1981 Super Bowl team. In addition to inducting Paul Brown, Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson, and Ken Riley into the Bengals' ring of honor at halftime, the team welcomed back nearly 40 players from the Bengals' first Super Bowl team, and they gathered for a pregame storytelling event at the new Icon Music Center next to Paul Brown Stadium. It was awesome, and it was the result of a ton of planning and hard work by the Bengals' director of community engagement, Alex Simons, and many other members of the Bengals' front office staff and kudos to the Brown and Blackburn families for making it all possible. It was truly a night to remember. Now, let's get to Thursday's game. The first half was a disaster. The Bengals' first drive ended with a missed field goal by Evan McPherson, his first in the NFL. And things quickly went from bad to worse as a pair of rushing touchdowns gave Jacksonville a 14-0 lead in the second quarter and it looked like it might be 21-0 at the half before Cincinnati made the key defensive play of the game. Fourth and goal from the Cincinnati one. 59 seconds left in the half. Lawrence moving to his right, runs up the middle, gets no. hit. No, And he did not no. get in. The Bengals stopped Trevor Lawrence. That is big right there, boy. Massive. Here's Tyler Boyd on the critical goal line stand. You know, I think that was the difference in the game, for sure. You know, that stop really uh, got us going, you know, because that the game probably could have would have went a whole different way if they would have punched it in, you know, so I, I tip my hat off to our defense. So even after having just four first downs in the first half to Jacksonville's 15, the Bengals felt confident that they could rally. Here's C.J. Uzama. We came out unbelievably slow, and that's not a knock on Jacksonville. I mean, they're a good team. Their record isn't indicative of who they are as a team, but we knew that we were shooting ourselves in the front. We weren't performing the way that we should have performed, and we came in at halftime. First of all, the defense had an incredible stop uh, at the end of the half. Going into that, going in 20 or 21 to zero is huge in comparison to 14 to zero. And um, you know, the leader stepped up, said some things in, in, in the locker room at halftime, and we came out and executed. The Bengals' second play of the second half got the ball rolling. Shotgun snap to Burrow, four-man rush, good pocket, flings it deep downfield. Chase, Chase yeah. over the shoulder catch at the Jacksonville 40, and he runs it down to the Jaguars' 25-yard line. Safety Andrew Wingard with a stop, a 44-yard catch for Jamar Chase. It's the fourth straight game that numero uno has had a catch for 30 or more yards. And it set up the Bengals' first score. Second down and seven at the 22 of Jacksonville. C.J. Uzama goes in motion left to right. Burrow under center. 
Now Mike Thomas goes in jet motion. They fake a handoff to the right. Burrow with a short throw to the left. Yeah. Caught at the 18. Uzama to the 10. Yeah, get Cut in. back, moving a stick yeah. arm to the pylon. Touchdown, yeah. Bengals. Yeah. C.J. Uzama with great yak. Yards after catch, and the Bengals score on their first drive of the third quarter. That's exactly what they needed. And once again, it's a little play action. You get that running game going, and the play action is going to be there. That made it 14-7, and after the defense got a three and out, the offense struck again. A one-yard touchdown run by Burrow was overturned by replay, but ultimately didn't keep the Bengals out of the end zone. All right, here we go. The Bengals line up. Third down and goal inside the one, trailing by seven, midway through the third quarter. Burrow ready in the shotgun, catches the snap, hands to Mixon, Boom. fights his way into the end zone. Boom. Touchdown, Bengals, no need to review. Joe Mixon gets in with ease, and the Bengals make it a one-point game. McPherson's extra point tied the score at 14, heading to the fourth quarter. Jacksonville went back in front on a four-yard touchdown run by James Robinson. He finished the game with 78 yards and two TDs, but the Bengals responded again with a 10-play, 75-yard drive. Burrow catches the shotgun snap, good protection, pump fakes, gestures, scrambles left, penalty flag down, Burrow throws, caught by Uzama, streaking toward the oh. end zone. He's in. We'll see what the penalty flag is about at the 28. If it's on Jacksonville, it's a tie game. I think Jacksonville held initially. Then the Bengals went down the field and started blocking after he was held. But Jacksonville held initially. Let's see what the call is. Illegal use of the hands, hands to the face. Yes. Defense. The penalty is declined. The result of the play is a touchdown. C.J. Uzama with two touchdown catches. Burrow was magnificent, going 25 for 32. That's 78% for 348 yards with two touchdowns, no picks, and a career-high passer rating of 132.8. That's the third time in four games this year that Joe's topped 120. I think I've got better and better each week. Um, you know, last week, you know, the defense played so well that you know, I didn't have to do a lot. And then tonight, you know, there's going to be games like that where, where you have to step up and make plays. And, and so I was... I'm really happy with my performance tonight. I'm just going to keep building on this and, and keep getting better and better. With the score tied at 21, Jacksonville drove to the 50 before having to punt, and the Bengals got the ball at their own 10 with 5.33 remaining. On their final drive, the Bengals had a false start and a holding penalty and lost Joe Mixon for the final few minutes when he appeared to twist his ankle. On second and 13, near midfield with roughly a minute to go, Burrow recognized that the Jags were going to an all-out blitz with cover zero. In other words, zero deep defenders. So he switched the play to a jailbreak screen to C.J. Uzama. Burrow lines up in the gun, extends the hands, catches uh -oh. the snap, throws to beat a blitz, caught by C.J. Nice, Uzama. CJ, He's to the 35, numerals at the 30, down to the 25. He gets tackled at the 21. Miles Jack making the stop. The Bengals beat the all-out blitz, and now they are within easy field goal range for Evan McPherson with the clock running in 48 seconds to go. You guys have heard me talking about just having the playbook in the back of my head, seeing looks that you know I can take advantage of, and that just comes with experience. And you know they gave me a zero look, and so you know all week I know defense coordinator had a Baltimore background. You know they've showed some zero on film. I knew they I'd have to be ready for it in a big spot, and you know I had CJ out there. That's not exactly the. 
the personnel that we usually throw those jailbreak screens to, but you know, he really took advantage of the opportunity and I had those plays in the back of my head expecting zero and, and I, I just got to it and didn't really think about it. Burrow's ability to read defenses and switch to the right play is not the only sign of his brain power, according to Uzama. He's the smartest person on the field at all times. Um, the the I, I was fortunate enough to get uh, brought into their Jeopardy game. The quarterbacks, they have a little Jeopardy game. Um, and the questions, I was like, what, what the hell is this? Like, I don't know any of this stuff. Why am I here? And he's just like, can I steal this one? Can I steal this one? I know this one. I'm like... If you want to, I don't. I don't know the answer. Like, so uh, I don't know. He's 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 just he's Joey franchise. Uzama finished with a career high 95 receiving yards, and after a run by Samaje Pirine, the Bengals left four seconds on the clock and called on Evan McFearless to win it. So here we go: a 35-yard field goal attempt to win the game from the right hash. Clark Harris will snap. Kevin Huber will hold. Evan McPherson looking for his second game winner in four NFL games. The snap, the put down, the swing of the right leg. The kick is on its way. Yeah! Coffin nails! Bam! 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 How about that? Thursday night football. National audience. Cincinnati Bengals. Three and one, Dan. How about them Bengals? Jackson Carmen lifting Evan McPherson into the air just as he did back in week one in overtime when he beat the Minnesota Vikings. And now on the final play of regulation in primetime on Thursday Night Football, Evan McPherson delivers from 35 yards away and the Cincinnati Bengals rally from a 14-0 halftime deficit to beat Jacksonville 24-21. to Wow. You know, we're three and one. We're in a good. We're in a good spot. Um, obviously, we had the one setback that we didn't play very well in Chicago. But you know, we've played pretty well the last the other three games. So we're just going to keep building on it. I'm excited to have a bye weekend. You know, it's going to be fun to watch some football, kind of relax. You know, get a head start on Green Bay. Dave Lapham spoke to head coach Zach Taylor in the locker room after the game. Congratulations! Huge win. So many things to talk about. I mean, you you get down 14 nothing. Your defense, that goal, that fourth down stop was monumental. You guys, again, win the coin toss and defer. It's worked out for you where you score at the end of the half, then score first possession. You make that stop at the end of the half to stay in the game. Then you come out and you kick their tail in about a minute and a half to score, and then come back and score again. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that is scoring at the end of the half. Kept seven points off the board. Um, that would have been that would have been difficult to overcome in this league. And so, a uh, tremendous effort of our defense, just just kind of bowing up there on the goal line. Uh, they had to do it a lot because we got the, the holding call in the end zone. You know, that gave them a first down. And so um, just just really critical there and, and a great job by them. You overcame a few tough penalties. I mean, you had a holding call offensively on that last drive that set you back. And CJ, I was talking to CJ and Tyler Boyd, and CJ said, I'm not, I don't get that screen. This is the first time I've ever gotten that screen. Take us through that call, that play that went to CJ Uzama that set everything up for that field goal. Yeah, that was zero blitz. That was a check from Burrow. You know, that wasn't a called play. That wasn't two plays in the huddle. We called a play, and he checked to a zero blitz beater, which you got to do in this league. And everyone has to be ready. And that's just a great example of CJ understanding the offense. Uh, taking mental reps, because I promise you he's never taken a physical rep of that, and, and executing when we needed the most. Wow, that's awesome. Joe Cullen, the defensive coordinator, five years as D-line coach with Baltimore. They go zero blitz when you approach the red zone. You guys obviously had prepared for that. You had your team prepared for that, and bam. When, when something like that happens, when it's like, 
yeah, this is what we were talking about. What are we going to do? And then you execute it like that. How, how rewarding a feeling is that? Oh, it's the best. You know, your players are just confident in, in what we ask them to do, the positions we put them in, and then they execute. And, you know, sometimes you're stressed as a coach going into a game, and then I just take a deep breath and say, we got good players. We got really good players. They're going to go out there and play well, and we're going to win. What did you say at halftime, Coach? I mean, you come in the football game and stagnated a little bit, never really got in a rhythm. You come out in the second half, I mean, on fire. What was talked about? Was it like they're really not doing anything, we're kind of hurting ourselves? Yeah, we, we got their best shot all three phases, and we were not playing well in any phase at that point. And we were only down 14 to nothing. And we scored, what, 14 points in three minutes at Chicago. And so we knew how quickly we can score, how quickly we can get some stops. There was no need to panic, and that's exactly what our team did. So no turnovers for either football team. It just turned into who's going to execute, who gets the ball last kind of thing. And you guys do that, and you give them the knockout punch. In a game like that, uh, there are a lot of lessons to be learned in a game like that, too. I mean, what do you talk to your team about after the game or even tomorrow? Well, I think situationally, they handled everything well. You know, it's, it's the defense got to stop in the, in the middle of the fourth quarter. Offense bled six minutes off um, to be able to finish with four seconds left in the, in the kicking team was able to kick it through the uprights and finish it so all three phases were connected all three phases stepped up and made plays when needed them so you come off an emotional win in pittsburgh division win on the road and then it's like all right well, well are we going to be able to you know handle success we're going to be able to compartmentalize and the team did what does that say about this football team that, that we're ready you know for the next phase of the season this is just the first quarter we're up seven to nothing right now we got three quarters left to play um, so, again, we got to come out focused for, for a, a game against the two-time NFC uh, champion contenders, you know, Green Bay Packers. We're going to have our work cut out for us. It's good that we have a long week to get healthy because we can get some guys back. Uh, but we got to be focused and ready, and ready to play on this next game. It's a huge one. I know you haven't looked at the tape yet. Trey Wayne's first, uh, first action. How, did, how do you think it went for him out there? You know, it's hard for me to say, but I saw him involved in a lot of plays. It's good to have Trey back. I'm sure for him, he hasn't played in, in almost a year and a half. So it's good for him just to get back out there and get back in the phase of things. I know he's only going to improve with each game going forward. And, and your secondary was beaten up. Who can you say stepped up for you in absence of key players? Vaughn Bell. Vaughn Bell is a leader in that secondary, you know, and he stepped up. And, you know, with Jesse out and Cheeto out, uh, Vaughn, Vaughn is always the guy who's consistent, reliable. And so we knew that he'd keep that secondary connected. Everybody, including myself, was stunned when McPherson missed. And it's like, all right, well, he's kicked three extra points. He's in a rhythm. You knew he was going to kick that game. Or two game winners in his first four NFL games. Kid's pretty cool. Yeah, no, no kicker in NFL history has made all their kicks. And so, you know, at some point, um, he was going to face some adversity for the first time in his young NFL career. Uh, but I think everybody knew he was going to put that last one through the uprights, and we trusted him, and he did a great job. Three and one. Great start. Little mini bye week. Go see the family. R&R &R a little bit. But I know you guys, you guys, your coaching staff, you guys work, man. You guys grind it. Are you going to be able to get any time, though? Yeah, I'm going to go watch my kids play flag football on Sunday and spend some time with my family, and these coaches will, too. We, we, they, they deserve it. They put in the work. It's good for them to have this opportunity. Congratulations on a big night. National TV, the nation, saw Bengals face adversity and overcome it. Love it. That was great to see. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Dave. So the Green Bay Packers come to town a week from Sunday. After getting embarrassed by the Saints in week one, 38-3, the Packers have posted back-to-back -back wins over Detroit and San Francisco. Green Bay hosts Pittsburgh on Sunday. Now, time for post-game analysis with Lap. What a performance by Joe Burrow, Lap. 
career-high passer rating of 132.8. He often talks about how he wants the ball in his hands with a game on the line. You can see why after the performance he had on Thursday night football. Down 14 nothing at the half. They got the ball four times in the second half. He led them down the field to score every time. He said that he talked to uh, Zach Taylor at halftime and said, let's go empty. Got matchups I can take advantage of. We, we can do this. Well, right down the field, minute and a half, score. Um, get the ball back, score again. I mean, he, he understands his football. There's no question about it. So doing that, making that adjustment, going empty and throwing it all over the place uh, in the second half. And then the screen pass that went to CJ, he audibleized to, and CJ had never gotten it. And I can see why. I mean, defensive linemen, I mean, when it, the rush was so strong, I'm like, oh, man, they're going to bat this down or something. He just dropped down sidearm, got the ball around it, and, and uh, CJ was mad he didn't score. He goes, man, I got to score on that. So he wanted the hat trick. He didn't quite get there. But that was an unbelievable play as well. So um, in the defense, when they had to make a stop, there weren't any turnovers in the game, but that fourth down stop, when that possession didn't end in a kick, that was a huge possession in that football game to keep him in it. That was bigger than a turnover because it's 14 nothing. You've got less than a minute to go in the second quarter. It's fourth and goal at the one. Yep. Trevor Lawrence is 6'6". Six, six. I mean, if he jumps up and does the Drew Brees play where yep. you just jump up and extend the ball forward with Giant two arms, yep. yeah, I, I think it's a touchdown. He elected to run instead. Larry Ogunjobi and Logan Wilson get him to the ground. That saves the day. It does. And um, like Urban Meyer said to Vic Fangio, NFL, it's like playing Alabama every week. You got to get, you got to take the points. I mean, I think, I think that's, at that point, you go up three scores, you go up 17, nothing. That's, you know, that's a statement. He tried to get really greedy and, you know, roll Michigan or something, you know, get up on him big. And it came back to bite him a little bit, but that obviously was big. Um, the field goal missed by McPherson, uh, McPherson was big, but him to come back and, and do what he does, I mean, he's, let's face it, every kicker is going to miss kicks. Justin Tucker has missed kicks. You just can't, you know, you can't lose your mind over it. And, and he moved on, and he moved on quickly and got the game winner. Two in four weeks, two game winners in four NFL games. That's crazy. Both with the clock hitting zero. Unbelievable, unbelievable. At the gun, McPherson, bingo, bango, bongo. <laughs> Justin Tucker might be better, but Evan McPherson is pretty darn good. No question about it. Let's talk about Tyler Boyd. Nine catches for 118 yards. I'm still trying to figure out how he caught that pass on third down and six when he wasn't open. He was being interfered with. I don't know how Joe Burrow saw any sort of opening to get the ball to him, and they connected. I really believe, Dan, that he's been the victim of, you know, a football team that hasn't played well enough. He is a Pro Bowl slot receiver. Since he's come into the league, nobody, very few, I think maybe one, <laughs> has put up better numbers than him in the slot. He is a Pro Bowl caliber slot receiver. And I think now, as the team starts to improve, people around the league will recognize this guy's talents and abilities. And he, he's incredibly intelligent. We were talking about uh, in the, in the postgame, he and CJ both played quarterback. And he played in high school. CJ even played it at Auburn, obviously. And they, and they just say that they can be on the same page as the quarterback. They'll pre-read a defense, you know, before the snap of the football and their routes and everything and almost get on the same page, you know, very, very quickly. He's a very, very intelligent football player, very, very tough, physical football player. 
he's he's a he's a special one. Thursday night games are hard to play. I mean, those guys are just starting to feel better by Thursday when they're back on the field and playing in a game. Did that show tonight? Did they look like they were a little bit gassed to you? You know, I I asked uh, I asked guys what are they going to do, and they, they they were all saying, you know, take some time and get my body right and and all that. I think defensively, they played 87 snaps, yeah. and it was it was not cool. <laughs> I mean, it mm -hmm. was it wasn't boiling hot. It wasn't as hot as some of the games, but it was it was not fall weather. And they paid a price, I think. And uh, I think that might have been a, a little bit of a factor. But they they uh, the adjustment they made was going empty, and th the reason that that screen pass to CJ was called is uh, Joe Cullen. The defense coordinator that spent five years with the Ravens, when you approach the red zone, they go zero, and they had a feeling it was going to be zero, and it was. And when CJ, like he said, when when I broke the when I broke up field, I should have scored. And they they were saying also that uh, Joe Burrow mentioned that Zach Taylor was going to find anybody that got tackled one on one by that deep safety. He <laughs> said that if they're going to put a guy that deep. If we get tackled one-on-one -on -one by him, it's a fine. Mm -hmm. And and they wanted to make sure that that guy didn't come up and make a one-on-one -on -one play on him. So it was interesting how uh, you know how they get ready for this one. It kind of bums me out that Joe Montana was known as Joe Cool because you can't give that nickname to Joe Burrow. It's already been used. But that's what he is. He is Joe Cool. He is. I mean, I swear, I, I, he was he was so composed and relaxed in the locker room. I thought he was going to take a nap. I mean, <laughs> his heart rate. He's one of those guys where the heart rate goes down instead of up. Instead of a, you know, a, a panic situation, he just can take it down, and he just is very. You you said it during the game when they got the ball back. He said, "This is what Joe Burrow well, he wants. He lives on, thrives on it." A chance to win the football game, the ball in his hands to win the game. This is what it's all about at showtime, and the son of a gun went down and did it again. And you can't do it any better. He got the ball at his own 10 with 533 on the clock, used all 533, and set up his outstanding kicker for a relative cheap, uh, chip shot to win the game. I, I was I was praying to them to kick it with like 30 seconds. I'm thinking, you know, boy, you need it in, within a half minute. They only have one timeout. Eh, I'll do better than that. <laughs> I'll just take it all the way down and hit it at the gun. Just incredible. Um, yeah, it's it's good stuff. I, I I think I think that you know you 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 go on the road and win a division game, an emotional game, and then you come back and it, it's it's easy to say, look, you know we can't afford a letdown. You have to come out. You, you can't be flat and everything that you talk about. But going out and doing it, and then and then when you fall behind by 14, I think you know now all of a sudden it's a gut check for everybody. And, and they responded, which I think will stand them in good stead as they, you know, get into more competitive games. It can't be much more competitive than that. Really, no team turned it over as such other than the fourth down stop in the goal line. And it just was like, all right, well, who's going to get the ball last? Who's going to make the last body shot? Who's going to get the knockout punch? And that was just uh, good NFL football. Uh, you know, a team that came in tied for the lead in giveaways held on to the football and made it a game for sure. So four games is no longer a quarter of the schedule now that you've got a 17 game regular season, but it's close. They're three and one after four. Uh, how would you sum up the first close to quarter of the season? You know, I'd say that uh, that it's it's a good start 
I think I think that obviously getting three of them to go in the right way, they've got miles before the, go before they rest, miles to travel, but they are, you know, building the foundation. It's not like there aren't any bricks laid. There there have been some bricks laid, and I think those bricks are going to withstand you know bad weather and all the stuff that it has to withstand as you build the rest of the house so i think they are you know getting that good foundation established and um paul brown had a great saying winners makes believers of us all and that in a few words says so much and there's no question that i think a lot of the guys in that locker room are really starting to believe that they can go out and win football games no matter what the situation and uh that's that's always a good thing i mean the body can do great things when the mind lets it, you know? And the mind's starting to let these guys do some things. We'll have much more on the game tomorrow from 3 to 6 on the Bengals Pep Rally Show on ESPN 1530. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now, time for this week's Fun fact segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with cornerback Mike Hilton from Fayetteville, Georgia, about 20 miles away from Atlanta. What were some of the things that young Mike Hilton liked to do as a kid growing up in Georgia? Man, one, I used to go to Six Flags all the time. You know, uh, (laughs) if you heard about Six Flags over Georgia, you know they have some of the best roller coasters, so I did that a lot. Of course, played football and, you know, just enjoyed, enjoyed my time as a kid. We have Kings Island nearby. Do you still like roller coasters? I, I've heard about Kings Island. Everybody says definitely uh, someplace I have to visit, so I'm going to take my daughter there and we're going to have some fun. We're doing fun facts with Mike Hilton. You attended Sandy Creek High School. You were more of a running back than a cornerback back then, right? Yes, I was. Uh, I got recruited mainly to play running back, and when I got to college when I really flipped over to play corner. Were you okay with that? I wasn't at first, but I knew, especially in the SEC at my size, running back was kind of a – a iffy situation, so I know if I made that switch, you know, it'll put me in a position to be here. So you're in the process of having a great NFL career, but you are not the most famous football player from your high school. Recently inducted Hall of Famer Calvin Johnson, Megatron, went to Sandy Creek. Did you see him when you were a kid? Did you get to see him play or get to know him? No, I never uh, actually seen him play when I was growing up, but during my high school games he would come, so I've had chances to talk to him and, you know, um, just ask him about the NFL life. And, you know, we had some good conversations, and, you know, I just want to say congrats to him for being inducted. Was that pretty exciting for folks back home to see him get into the Hall of Fame? Oh, absolutely, especially for our town, which, you know, isn't really the biggest town. So, you know, everybody knows everybody. And when you have a guy like uh, Calvin Johnson that's inducted, you know, we take pride in that. So you are an outstanding player at one of Georgia's top high school football programs, but the University of Georgia wasn't interested. What did head coach Mark Richt say to you? (laughs) Um, I remember my high school coach pulled me out. You know, during recruiting time, you get pulled out to talk to college coaches. And, you know, my high school coach was hyping me up and everything. And I met Rick, and the first thing he said to me was like, you're just not, you're just not big enough for me. So that's kind of been sticking with me throughout my whole career. And, you know, uh, I don't look at it as a bad thing. You know, it's just him being honest. But it definitely pushed me and helped me get where I am. And it still motivates you? Absolutely. I Absolutely. I still hear it to this day, whether it's from – other people, other fans, other coaches, that I'm not small, but I, I know what I'm capable of. So Mark Richt made a terrible mistake <laughs> in not recruiting you, but Ole Miss was smart enough to recruit you. What was the best part of your college experience? Man, really just uh, being around everybody, um, getting to know my college teammates and getting that true 
college feel. You know, um, just when they say that's the best years of your life, that's honest the truth, and I, I enjoyed all four. As a senior at Ole Miss, you received one of the highest honors a player can receive at that school. You were chosen to wear the number 38 in honor of the late Chucky Mullins, a great player who was paralyzed in a game. Can you articulate what that honor means? Uh, it, number one, it goes to a senior uh, defensive player every year. Um, it, it, it shows leadership qualities um, on and off the field, most importantly, especially off the field, you know, just being in the community, doing right in the classroom. And then when it comes to on the field, being a playmaker, being a voice, being a leader, uh, I, I really, I really took took heed to it my freshman year when I started to learn who he was and why they were passing the award down every year. And it, it was one of my goals to to become uh, the winner. And you know, I, I was blessed to win it. We're doing fun facts with Mike Hilton. Following your senior year at Ole Miss, you signed with Jacksonville as an undrafted free agent. Things didn't work out there. You signed with the Patriots for their practice squad. They let you go. Yeah. Did the thought of moving on from football even enter your mind? Oh, absolutely. Um, after I got cut by New England, which I was only up there for a week, so that was like a true experience. Like, this game is cutthroat. It's a business. Um, I was at home from, like, week 12. I mean, week 2 to about week 12, week 13. So during that whole span, I had stopped working out, started applying for jobs. I kind of just started to accept that, you know, my opportunity was, was going away. But, you know, I, I got that call from Pittsburgh, and everything took off since. That's for sure. They gave you a chance. You capitalized with four great seasons in a Steelers uniform. When did you know you made it? Uh, I, I kind of had a feeling through, through that preseason. You know, then it was four preseason games. Um, after the second and third one, I was just making a lot of plays. And I just had my ears around the locker room. That like Everybody was like, hey, Mike, you, you, you good, man. You have nothing to worry about. Because, you know, being undrafted, you're always worried, like, today's the day I'm probably getting cut. But all those guys kind of kept me. Kept me confident and kept me rolling. We're talking to Mike Hilton. So as we've referenced, you're not a big guy, 5'9", 184, according to the roster, but you're one of the best blitzing defensive backs in the NFL. What's the secret? Well, I don't want to give away too much, but, you know, it, it's just learn, learning the, uh, the tendencies of the quarterback, you know, when they're going to snap it, if they're going to possibly have a motion before, just, you know, watching film and just picking out those bits and pieces I can use to uh, time my blitzing up better. Do you have a favorite sack? Uh, one, if we go one, I would say when I actually tied the record in Pittsburgh in 2017 where I had three. So it was that third one when, when I obviously tied the record is my favorite one. Now, what was that record for, three in a game three or three? Three, three in a game. It was, i say, Troy Palomalu's on that list and Carnell Lake's on that list and myself. So just knowing Pittsburgh history and being up there with those guys, it's, it's a great honor have to find out what record you're going to break here. <laughs> We're talking to Mike Hilton. You became a free agent. You signed a four-year, $24 million deal with the Bengals. That's generational changing wealth, potentially. When you go from undrafted free agent, who had been let go a couple of times, to highly coveted free agent signing a big deal, is it a little bit overwhelming? I wouldn't say so, because I, I know how hard I've worked to get in this position. Um, from my early experiences being cut, that kind of just got my mentality rolling, you know, um, being at home and seeing other guys who, honestly, I felt like I was better in, you know, out there competing on Sundays. I, I didn't let it get me down, and, you know, over the four years I was able to perform, and I'm ready to perform here in Cincy. So since joining the Bengals, you have brought an accountability chart, essentially, to the defensive backs room. Tell us about that. 
uh, no more. It's something I learned from learned from Joe Hayden. So shout out Joe, I appreciate <laughs> you, man. But you know, it's just something, especially in the secondary. We're all about getting getting our hands on the ball, being in great coverage, and just making plays. And when I brought it here, you know, guys really really embraced it because they know if we're doing these things correctly, it's going to pay off on Sunday. So I'm, I'm excited to see see how we fare Sunday. And one of the categories is apparently loafs. You okay. get punished for loafing. Yep. And as a defender, uh, the worst thing you can do is loaf to the ball. If all other ten is running to the ball and you're that one that's <laughs> half jogging, sticking out, you, it's going to be seen and you're going to get called out. So I, I kind of put that not just on the secondary, but as the defense as a whole. Like, we want to be fast, we want to be physical, and we can't have no loafs. All right, let's get to some wild card categories for Mike Hilton. Who is your all-time favorite athlete in any sport? <sighs> any sport? Man, I have to go with the king, LeBron James, man. He, he, he's the GOAT. He's the best to ever do it. And I'm kind of sad his, his career is slowly coming to an end. But, you know, I, I've enjoyed watching him my whole lifetime. Have you had the chance to meet him? I haven't. But, you know, hopefully one day, whether he's still playing or not, I'll have that opportunity. All right. What do you like to spend your money on? Oh, man, we're getting personal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give a a husband answer. I have a wife and a daughter, so all my money goes to them, too. And, you know, especially my daughter, whatever she wants, it's hard to say no. So really them, too. (laughs) How old is your daughter, and what's your favorite part about being a dad? Uh, She she turned two on the 19th, so she she just turned two. And favorite part, just, just seeing them grow up. You know, every day is like, they, they learn something new, and, you know, it just puts a smile on my face. And every time I come home, her first word is, Daddy, Daddy. So it's a great feeling. Now we're going to get really deep. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, entertainer, statesman, whatever it might be, who would that person be? Hmm. Okay. Anybody to meet? I would say Michael Jackson. It's kind of an old school answer. I like it. Yeah, man. I, got, I kind of got an old school soul in me. You know, I've been raised around a lot of older people, so that's what I know. Do you have any hidden talents? I don't. That's the weird thing about it. I don't. I don't play any instruments, can't sing or nothing. So, you know, God bless me play football, so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Last thing Is there anything that you are really bad at? Really bad at? I'll be honest. I'm not the best mathematician. Like, easy math, yes, but if we go in, you know, equations, fractions, that's where things get a little hectic for me. (laughs) As long as you know the value of a pick six, that's the only math you need to know. Absolutely. (laughs) This has been fun. I appreciate your time. Welcome to uh, Cincinnati, and best of luck this year. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. That's Mike Hilton. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.